Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Hey everybody, we're Mike and Nikki Howell here in Dakar, Senegal. Um, we've been here for three months already almost. Uh, we're here with our two young boys, Todd and Oliver, and we're just so grateful to have this opportunity to share with you today and um, hopefully that hopeful that you will be encouraged um, by what we have to say in our story and um, how God is working in our lives. So let's just take a minute and open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and um, just build each other up and encourage each other. And Lord, we pray that um, this story of our lives would just be a story of your faithfulness um, and that as others hear it, Lord, that they would be encouraged and, and that they would be bold in stepping out in obedience to what you're calling them to as well and um, just walking in that faithfulness, Lord. We're so grateful for this and thank you for everything that you've provided us with. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. We'd like to take some time this morning to just share a little bit of our story, our testimonies, and um, kind of how we were called two missions and a little bit about the, the CMA in Senegal and our work here. Um, and as well, um, just God's command on our lives to, to pick up, to give up, pick up, and follow. So starting with my uh, calling, I felt God calling me into missions when I was in high school. I was looking at post-secondary options and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And um, it was at this time that I really felt like there would be no job that I could see myself doing that would give me the fulfillment that I desire like ministry would. Um, and I knew that um, God has called us as believers to make disciples. Um, and I realized that my upbringing and experiences growing up overseas was the ways that God was equipping me um, for a life of ministry. So through those uh, observations and, and regards, I, I looked at a school down in Georgia, Tacoa Falls College, and I majored in cross-cultural studies. And ever since that decision, I've, I've seen time and time again how God has been affirming that in my life. And um, one of the biggest ways was I had to do an eight-week internship cross-culturally, so I went to Guinea, West Africa. And I got to experience missions in a way that I hadn't before when I was just a kid living over here, um, just having more responsibility and um, being involved more in ministry. And it was, it was a really great building moment in my life and, and affirming what God had been calling me to. Um, this continued on through the time that we were dating. And um, even after we were, we were, well, when we were dating, we were very intentional about um, missions being a part of our future for both of us. And after we were married, in 2014, we moved to London, Ontario and got plugged in at West London Alliance Church. And in 2016, began our official application with the Alliance to be international workers. Um, we were able to go on a vision trip in 2019, actually here to Senegal. And at that point, we saw so many opportunities for us both to serve using both of our giftings. And that was a huge moment, again, that was affirming you know, this is, this is where God is leading us and 
where he's calling us to go. So my story is pretty different than Mike's. Uh, as a young kid, I felt that God was calling me to be a missionary, largely because of the church I grew up in, I think, uh, where missionaries would come and speak often, not only to the adults in the service, but also to the Sunday school classes. <clears throat> the idea of working as a missionary was not mysterious or exotic. It was talked about a lot. I knew the names and faces of the people who did it, including the Howell family, whose prayer magnet was on our fridge and who we sent our loonies and toonies to for special gifts like a bicycle. I've prayed for Mike's family since I was about five years old, not having any idea that I would one day join that family. And not only that, but also join the mission that his parents and grandparents had committed their lives to, to bringing the gospel to unreached people groups overseas. <clears throat> I must say that I lost track of this calling somewhat as I grew up. I felt very clearly that God was also calling me into the field of speech language pathology, something I had wanted to do since I was about 12 years old. I had a hard time seeing how God would place two seemingly conflicting callings in my life, since I had no idea I could use speech pathology in a missions context at the time. So I forged ahead with my plans for school and career. When Mike and I started dating, he was very intentional early on to communicate that he felt God had called him to be a missionary. This prompted me to re-examine God's early calling on my life for missions. It was after my first year of university that I attended a week-long training camp with Athletes in Action. During this week, it became very clear to me through the teaching and sessions that God was calling me to give up control of my future and to place my plans entirely in His hands, including my dream of being an SLP. I agreed to do this, and very soon after, God began to show me how speech pathology could be used in an international missions context. I know it was an important lesson for me to learn that I had to give up this dream to God and be willing to serve him however he called me instead of trying to hold on to my goals and force them to fit into God's plans. Even though there are many opportunities to work in my field here in Senegal, it's possible that God will take me in an entirely different direction, and I'm okay with that now. Compared to Mike, I might not be the most obvious missionary candidate. I grew up in a small town. I've never lived overseas before. I enjoy predictability and routine. I'm a planner and I don't seek out risks. But I have clearly felt God directing me to follow him in this way. No, I've never received an audible command or laid out a fleece to make sure I wasn't making a mistake. There have been wonderful moments when God has, in his kindness, given my heart reassurance and my soul joy about missions. But in general, my calling has been from scripture. God has so clearly commanded all believers to evangelize and disciple to the ends of the earth. The number of people who will live their entire lives without hearing the name of Jesus, meeting a believer, or having the Bible in their language is hard to wrap our heads around. And I believe that a large part of our obedience to the Great Commission involves bringing the gospel to these unreached people groups. I believe that many people may miss out on serving God in this way because they're waiting for a more personalized command than God has already given in his word. Like what we see in Mark 8:34, Give up your own way, pick up your cross, and follow me. I'm not trying to tell people what God's will is for their life, but I hope by sharing my story and calling, that others may reconsider their thoughts on what it takes to be called into missions or ministry. So 
what is the CMA? Uh, the, C the Christian Missionary Alliance is a denomination of local churches across Canada that work together sending workers to the least reached people groups with the goal of planting indigenous reproducing churches around the world. Uh, and the CMA is not limited to Canada, but is worldwide with over 4 million members across the world in 81 different countries, um, many of which are also sending workers out. And uh, that's one of the reasons we chose the Alliance was because of their team focus. Um, being a part of a team here in Senegal, working with other organizations and uh, people from other countries is, is a great blessing that we have. And uh, another reason that we chose the Alliance was, was for their member care. They take really good care of their workers um, through medical support and spiritual support and um, every, like, they, they put a high value on us as workers in, in making sure that we're able to stay here where, we're, where we've been called, um, serving God. Uh, the Alliance has a very supportive environment for new workers, which is appealing to us as, as new workers, um, just with the apprenticeship plan that I'll get into in a little bit. <clears throat> but also, um, we really liked the local church involvement that the Alliance has um, being a denomination of local churches. We're plugged into local churches in Canada, like, like yourselves and West London Alliance and Owen Sound Alliance. And we just have been able to feel a lot of support from, from them uh, in our journey. And then also with our, our personal history, my grandparents were Alliance missionaries and my parents were Alliance missionaries. So it felt natural that we would be Alliance missionaries as well. So why Senegal? The CMA is, was looking to send new workers to Senegal in 2016 when they opened the, the field here. Um, another reason that we considered Senegal was my personal history here attending a boarding school while my parents were working in Congo. Um, and in 2016, my parents were brought here to Senegal to open the field. Um, so just hearing the frequent updates from them about what's going on has really uh, started to burden our hearts with the, with the lost here in Senegal, the Wolof and the Fulani people. Um, so we've been praying for them for a few years now and, and we really felt God calling us to work with them as well. Um, when we came here in 2019 for our vision trip, we saw specific ways that our passions and skills could be used here in Senegal, whether that's speech and language pathology or sports ministry for myself. Um, so we had really good connections on that, on that vision trip and really felt that this was where God was leading us to come. Senegal is a country of 16 million people, um, with about 4 million living here in the capital city of Dakar. It's 91% Muslim, but only 0.17% evangelical Christian. Um, several of the unreached people groups include the, including the Wolof and the Fulani, the Wolof are 99.5% Muslim. Despite being an Islamic majority nation, they're politically democratic secular state. Um, they pride themselves on their constitutional freedom of, of religion. And because of this, the Alliance is using work in Senegal to determine what might be useful in other countries that might be closed to workers coming in as, as Christians. Um, 
So what are we going to do during these next two years? We arrived in mid-January, and so as of now, we're almost three months in, and we're neck deep in, in language study. Um, we were asked to learn Wolof, which is one of the local languages here. Um, and even though French is also more common, um, it's used mostly in bigger cities in urban areas. So we thought that Wolof would be more useful to us if we travel or have opportunities outside of Dakar. Um, we also wanted to be able to connect more closely with, with people in their heart language um, and speaking their first languages that they would speak in the home, which would be Wolof. Um, this would give us the ability to form relationships and, and share the gospel with people. Um, following our language learning, after this first six months, the next year and a half of our apprenticeship will involve experiencing various ministries in Senegal and getting our feet wet as missionaries. We will also be completing a curriculum and learning modules during these two years to increase our understanding of culture, missions, discipleship, and spiritual formation. Gary and Sharon Howell, my parents, will be our team leaders and apprenticeship coordinators. They will be facilitating learning and service opportunities for us during these two years that will enable us to discern what area of ministry God is calling us to long-term. This process is one of the chief objectives of the apprenticeship, and we would greatly appreciate your prayers for wisdom and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit throughout our two years. So we understand that you've just finished a sermon series on give up, pick up, and follow. With regards to this, I'd like to share a bit about my journey towards the give up component as mentioned in Mark 8.34. So something that God has been teaching me for the past year and a half is that an aspect of my feelings of inadequacy regarding my aptitude for the missionary lifestyle is rooted in a posture of idolatry. This extends beyond my adaptability to change and willingness to take risks, as I mentioned, uh, is a struggle. I also have a significant addiction to comfort. Comfort is a broad term, but it encompasses many things. The sanctuary of my home, my routine, good food, material items, pampering or treating myself, and spending my spare time the way I want to, and generally not being uncomfortable. I knew that this was not only dishonoring to God because I was seeking comfort more than I was seeking Him, but also that this was going to be a big problem once we left Canada for Africa. I'm so glad that God in His mercy began revealing this to me before our, depart our departure. Although we're certainly not suffering here, there are several things I would not consider comfortable, like desert heat, dust storms, cockroaches, sleeping under a mosquito net, trying to get my one-year-old to take his malaria medication every morning, conversing in a second or third language, <clears throat> dirt roads with heavy traffic and no sidewalks to push a stroller on, not to mention being a complete newcomer in every cultural situation and all of the ignorance and embarrassment that that entails. Before we left with these challenges in mind, I found myself becoming increasingly reluctant to get excited about this journey. As I reflected on this inner turmoil, a Bible study I was involved with that was studying idolatry asked the following question. What lie that you believe keeps one of your idols in business? And what truth from scripture combats this lie? 
I realized that deep down I believed that if I gave up my comforts and followed God to hard places, that I would be miserable. And in a strange way, I almost expected this misery to be a reflection or indication of my degree of obedience. Essentially, I was not trusting God to be my source of comfort. I didn't even know if he cared all that much about my comfort, especially when compared to the much harder suffering so many people around the world are experiencing. It was then that God led me to this verse, 2 Corinthians 1.5. It says, For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Clearly, the Bible teaches that there is a measure of suffering in store for all believers, especially as we grow in Christ-likeness. But somehow, despite this suffering, or rather in the midst of this suffering, God lavishes his comfort on us. And this type of comfort is lasting and satisfying. There was a reason that I had to keep pursuing my sources of comfort, because like all false gods, they did not truly satisfy my craving. It was like trying to draw water from a well with a cracked jar. It will hold the water for a moment, but it will all too soon pour out, leaving me unsatisfied and scrambling for more. Through the season leading up to our transition overseas, God taught me that surrendering to his will and obeying him no matter what doesn't mean giving up my comfort, but rather changing where I find my comfort. Seeking my comfort in Christ by following him into hard places and drawing close to him every step of the way is the only source of living water that will never leave me thirsty, the only vessel that can be filled to overflowing. I am confident that by God's grace and loving kindness, I will not be miserable living and serving him as a missionary. I am and will continue to experience the divine comfort that I truly desire in a way that I could have never experienced it if I had kept clinging to my earthly sources of comfort and not stepping out in obedience to him. The next uh, thing that we wanted to talk about was this uh, portion of picking up. And uh, for us, it was, it's very practical. We literally picked up our lives and moved across the world uh, a few months ago. And um, there's a lot of difficulties that have come in this time of picking up and uh, especially with the COVID pandemic that has hit the world it was not easy to get everything in order before we came and um, even saying goodbyes and farewells to people was not easy as we're restricted on on seeing people and um, being able to spend time with people um, giving away and selling many of our possessions was was difficult um, it's, it's tricky to figure out what you're going to put in your 11 suitcases and take with you for the next two years. Uh, fortunately, here in Dakar, we can source many of the things that we need as well. Um, but putting aside our other careers and aspirations and trusting God with the long-term physical and emotional well-being of our children, the air quality here in Dakar is not very good, so uh, concerns of respiratory illness down the road for our kids is you know something that we are anxious about but um, something that God is calling us to give to him and and know that he is the one who sustains us and will take care of us um, leaving our family and friends in Canada is is very difficult uh, just coming 
through this Easter season and seeing pictures of our families gathered together in Canada is, is a difficult thing, um, knowing that we can't actually be there. We're so grateful for technology that allows us to Skype in or Zoom in with them and, and chat, but it's still difficult not physically being there. Um, however, through these difficulties, we've seen God's goodness in the hard parts of obedience. Um, it's been such a blessing to be here with my parents, to have them guiding us through this uh, culture finding and orientation and um, to have them here to be grandparents for our boys. Um, we've seen God's goodness in, in our sense of calling and purpose and the fulfillment that we've, we've been feeling during this time. Um, our support raising journey is an example of God's faithfulness in providing everything that we needed. Um, and we know that there's no way we could have done that apart from his, his working through us in that. Um, and just the incredible support team and partnership that we have in prayer. Uh, we've, been, we've been really blessed by having a tight group that's praying for us and um, just relying on, on God to sustain us through that. And just as we learn to rely on God in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to do. Um, and it's, it's brought up some questions in our minds that we, we thought would be applicable in this situation. Um, the first being, how is God calling you to pick up your cross? What blessing from him awaits you that otherwise you might miss? And once you commit to taking his yoke, how have you seen his burden is easy and light? And finally, uh, the third aspect of following him. Now that we're here, what does it look like to follow? And this section is fairly short. We've only been here for three months, so we have a lot to learn about what it looks like to follow. But one of the biggest realizations um, <clears throat> that we've had is, is that we've maybe made a mistake in thinking that all that is required to serve God overseas is just to go and, and that's it. Uh, then everything will fall into place. But we're learning that a lot of daily discernment and obedience is required to ensure that we are following what God wants us to do here beyond just having arrived. Um, a big learning experience for us has just been illustrated by one of the aspects of the way that Islam is lived out here in that people will follow a person called a marabou. It's someone other than the leader of their mosque, someone outside of, of the Quran. Um, it's another figure that they will show extreme devotion to uh, with outward symbols of devotion um, in dress and in uh, things that they might put on their car. And just, it's, it's a real picture, a reminder to us of, do we have that same degree of devotion and outward dedication to our leader? And how are we showing that in a comparable way to the way in the, pe the people in the culture here are showing how they are devoted uh, to those that they follow. Um, additionally, something that we've come to realize is that our burden in following God's command pales in comparison to those that convert to Christianity here. It is not an easy process for them to give up, pick up, and follow in a way that we could never understand just the sacrifice and 
danger and loneliness that they put themselves in to come to that decision is is something that we can really benefit from and learn from and, and hopefully support them in. Um, another aspect of following is is the notion of spiritual warfare, and we know that that's present everywhere in the world. Uh, we're maybe seeing it lived out uh, in a more obvious way here in some circumstances, so we're just daily reminded to put on spiritual armor, um, the armor of God as mentioned in Ephesians 6. And finally, one thing that we've learned is to consider new ways of doing ministry and sharing God's love and really embracing the new things that the Holy Spirit might be doing. And just a small teaser for that, it, it could be an entire sermon series on its own. But we've just been learning a, a lot about sharing the gospel from an honor-shame culture perspective. And we've grown up, Canadian culture and, and a lot of cultures in the West are exclusively interested in guilt and innocence and how that... Um, plays into the gospel presentation. But we're learning here that the concepts of honor and shame are really a lot closer to people's hearts. Um, so how can we present the gospel in a way that shows that Christ takes away their shame and restores their honor as much as he takes away their guilt and restores their innocence? Um, so all those things are, are on our plates and ahead of us as we learn what does it look like to follow God here. So just to wrap up, uh, practically speaking, if you would like to get on our email list, we just send out emails once a month, uh, and you can keep up with what we're doing uh, each month and also find out some ways that you can pray for us. Uh, we, will, we will add that email in. Uh, it is nicole.howell at hostedsys.ca, and you can just reach out to us on that and we'll add you. Uh, additionally, if you want to be a part of our prayer team in an even more intentional way, we have asked for people to commit to one day a month in praying for our family in a very intentional way, uh, the same day each month. So say if that's the third of the month, every time the third rolls around, you would pray for our family. And we have some more information on that. Uh, we actually have nine spots remaining on our monthly calendar, which we would love to fill up if there are even nine of you watching who would be interested in doing that. So again, the email that I just mentioned, you could send us a message and say, I'd love to get your email updates, or I'd love to join uh, your monthly prayer team, or both. So just to conclude, uh, we thought we'd share with you our passage of scripture that all along God has just placed in front of us as a summary of why are we doing this? Why are we called? And what's, what's the point? So that comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, and I'll just read that for you now as our conclusion this morning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. We pray that uh, you would have a blessed rest of your weekend and a good week going ahead, and may God be with you all.